0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of the FinTech Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hammond. I couldn't be more excited to be with you. We'd first like to thank our sponsors, WFG Enterprise Solutions, Encelerate, Lender logics and next level advisors. Well, we have a very special guest for you today. She's been named one of the most powerful women in fintech for the last two years. She's been named a PR and marketing trailblazer. Her company is part of the Housing Wire Tech 100. She is an industry insider. I understand she has a killer golf game, and more importantly than anything, she is a dear friend. Please help me welcome Sarah Nakai, Vice President of Sales and Business Development at First Close.
1: Hi. Thank you.
0: Hey, Sarah. Well, it is great to have you. You've been named one of the most powerful women in FinTech the last couple of years. It's been kind of a crazy year for the past year or so, but before we get into all of that, Tell everyone, for those who don't know you, which they should by now, they follow you on LinkedIn, if they see you speaking at events, you're a a presenter, uh, a speaker, tell us how you got into financial services.
1: Well, um, it was actually just by chance, I do have a history working within um, real estate, um, straight out of college. Way back when, I uh, was a realtor, and I also was uh, sales for a builder. So I was working in real estate then um, in Las Vegas in 2008 during the worst real estate market ever. (laughs) And I always thought, like, oh, if I could sell houses during the worst market, look how great I'll do during the best market. Um, and so I was with that for a while. And then I um, made my switch over to marketing and PR. Uh, that is what my degree is. And that's what I went into uh, college for. So it's always kind of really where I wanted to land. Um, worked for an agency over there, represented some really big brands, some Hilton, some Marriotts, And, and once I moved to Austin, which was hometown for my husband, um, you know, I worked for some um, other companies here and um, when I had landed and I needed to look for another job, a person that my husband used to work for worked at First Close, and she's like, hey, we need someone. Come over here. And so I joined the First Close team uh, a little over three years ago and it's been great ever since.
0: Fantastic. And I think that real estate background, that working for a builder, really helps you in your current role as you're selling, as you're interacting with lenders, credit unions, community banks, lending institutions. I think that has helped you quite a bit. And I think that's one of the reasons why you've been named one of the most powerful in fintech, because of the value that you add to the industry. So we're coming out of COVID, right? There's still COVID is still around. People are vaccinated. This is not a political podcast at all. So we're not going to make judgments one side or the other, and we do know, we never minimized it, that it negatively impacted a ton of people. But as far as the mortgage industry goes, how did COVID accelerate the adoption of digital mortgage technology?
1: Yeah, so COVID was interesting, and I know I could probably speak for everyone when we went into that shutdown a little over a year ago, we were like, okay, you know, maybe like a month at home, we'll be fine. And then it just dragged on and dragged on and, you know, we had so many of our um, customers coming to us and their branches had been closed. Um, Nobody could come in and um, take any applications and everyone was working from home and things were just chaotic because they were trying to train their whole staff to work from home remotely. Um, while still trying to keep up business, and then when all those PPP loans came through, having to shift resources, and so they were like, "Hey, we need a better way to capture, you know, these um, these home loans that are coming through," and and so it was almost like people were looking for the quick, fast solution just to keep business continuity running at that point. Um, so, they were implementing what they could, you know, um, where they could that was easy and, you know, wasn't so much affecting their whole tech stack so much. Um, so, you know, we had a lot of people coming to us because, you know, our our platform, so our, uh, vendor agnostic, it can, you know, plug and play everywhere and, you know, help, help get those services. And, you know, all the way down from adopting, you know, digital ways of um, processing loans, taking applications. The settlement services that they're ordering for those, you know, we found products that were those no-touch, no-contact products that we were able to offer them. And so it really just affected every aspect of the lending journey.
0: Well, you break so many good points. I want to touch upon a couple of those in more detail. But, you know, as you started talking, lenders had to shift and pivot almost immediately, right? Whether it was a week, whether it was a month, people are now working remotely And one other challenge to that was borrower expectation was still through the roof. Uh, I'll define that as the Amazon effect. They expect to be able to go online, click a button, and, hey, I got my product later on today or tomorrow. And I think we saw that with the adoption of a lot of the digital things that the borrower's expectations didn't get changed from that Amazon effect when all of this happened Talk to me then a little bit about some of the technology that you guys were able to roll out. Like you said, some of the no-touch products, some of the different valuation models, because you guys had to pivot as well.
1: Right, yeah. And that whole Amazon effect is it's a little intense because, you know, just because a lender wasn't set up to be so digital, when everything shut down, the consumer had this, this level of expectation of, well, just because we can't go in the branch, everything else should still happen the same. So they didn't really understand that maybe not all, all, lenders were set up to be able to handle that type of volume coming through digital channels, you know, being able to process those loans. I uh, need to get an appraisal, you know, can't even get somebody out there because everyone's going in anyone home, anyone's home anymore. And so, um, you know, it really just, kind of changed the way that lenders were processing their loans. So we came out with, you know, our digital lending platform which was actually created before COVID hit, and then we took that opportunity because there was so demand to kind of fine tune that process and that, you know, that platform itself is an extension of first close one gives that borrower that streamlined application process less than three minutes instant equity instant approvals instant monthly payments it's what they're looking for you know so they're not shopping different lenders and then once the loan comes through the the lenders you know now have options of you know that instant title report you know those county offices weren't closed those abstractors couldn't go down and you know pull those title reports so being able to um, offer products that were instant, utilizing, you know, instant data, as well as, you know, signed affidavits for lien positions, e and insurance, and all of those AVM products paired with, you know, our in-house desktop evaluations, um, PCRs, which could be user-driven. The borrowers take their own photos of the inside of their house. And so there were so many products that we ended up rolling out to our customers to continue, you know, lending and making sure those loans are coming in and processing under, you know, a certain number of days for their turn time, because I mean, with county offices closed and appraisals not going in, I mean, it just killed their turn times. It was, you know, someone who was historically maybe at 20 business days, you know, jumped to like 32, 35, because they couldn't get the title report, they couldn't get the appraiser. And so we're like, hey, you know, here's these other products, here's these workarounds. Know, that are still compliant, You know, let's go ahead and shift up your, your ordering matrix and configuration so we can get these loans closed and out the door.
0: Well, and you talk about so many great examples because everything did come to a screeching halt. People didn't want an appraiser coming into their house. People had to have technology then of how could they take the pictures and how could they get them uploaded. Uh, and what I'm really amazed at is how well the industry responded, right? We had a record-breaking year of volumes, and, and yes, turn times went up in some instances, but we've really been able to kind of pull that back and get those down, and I think a lot of it has to do with people embracing technology and the technology tools that were available to them. So you you give some incredible examples there. Also, the lender, I mean the borrower well, themselves. what's funny
1: is you say that the – the tools that were available to them. These tools, they existed. And and because our industry was so far behind, you know, the fact that COVID hit and that shutdown hit, it kicked everyone into full gear to be like, hey, okay, what's out there? And it forced them to look at new technology to help increase their processes. And it's not that the technology wasn't always there. People, you know, were just like, You know this is the way it's always been done we're gonna it's working let's continue doing it and they're like well we can't continue doing it like that anymore you know let's see what's available and it really brought us to probably where we needed to be five years ago
0: exactly and that's why we never minimize the the personal impacts that COVID has had but for an industry i think it really was that catalyst to move a number of things forward and to your point There was a lot of great technology out there that people weren't necessarily utilizing or didn't know how to use it in a specific instance. Oh, I can use that to do my own appraisal. Uh, I can do that to take pictures of my house. And I think the borrowers started changing needs, too. As they're in lockdown, they're saying, you know what? I really need another home office. I, I really need this. How can I pull the equity out of my home because our fence just fell down and I need to put a fence up so the kids can play safely out in the backyard and still be safe from COVID. So talk to me a little bit about how the demand for equity has really driven some of the things that you guys are doing as well.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, equity values have, have really gone up and it, it, and it's really funny too, because you think about it and, and nobody could have saw that coming Um, Even with, you know, this crazy lockdown, this crazy virus and everything stopping and the economy, you know, kind of going downhill, you wouldn't think that everyone's values would continue to rise the way that they did. Um, You know, I sold my last house literally a week before we went into lockdown and it has continued to go up in value even after, you know, we've sold it. And I mean, it's just insane and the, the demand is... The demand for additional space, I think, it's not so much of what you're gonna use the space for, it's more of space in general, right? So you're home, you're working from home, your kids are doing school from home, so you now need an area where they can do their school, you need an area where you can work, you need an area, you know, maybe if you wanna work out at home, you're gonna need to work out at home somewhere. And so it's really just, okay, now that the values are up, you know we need this extra money, and we need to make all these changes or you know move to another house and Some people completely revamped their backyards to you know little mini resorts since they couldn 't go anywhere and that volume we saw across the board from all of our lenders um, that everybody wanting to pull out that equity, and it was almost a a tug and war between equity and mortgage and refi because everyone was buying, everyone was refiing because the rates were so low and our lenders were like, well, we have you know all these processors, but we need to put some of them in refi, we need to put some of them in mortgage, we still need to keep them in home equity because that volume's still going and and there was just you know kind of a little bit of an overload when those rates dropped as low as they did.
0: Absolutely, and you make some great points there. So let's talk about what are some of the trends you're seeing now in the industry? What what does the rest of 2021 have in store?
1: So I think this year, and and as I've been talking to lenders, what their goals are is really their growth and innovation goals. So it's taking everything that they learned from the last year all the technology that they piecemeal together to make it work and really finding some, you know, cohesiveness between everything and finding that efficiencies and streamlining. um, We're going to continue to see that, you know, exceptional borrower experience, right? Everyone, everyone's going to want to maintain all of their, their current borrowers. They want to sell them on other loans. And so we're really going to see, you know, that, that online portal of applying for those loans and, you know, giving those instant approvals those, is, is moving the process along as quickly as possible. Because now if everyone's staying at home and, you know, getting their Amazon prime in two days, <laughs> <laughs> everyone, you know, has, has lost a little bit of patience and don't realize that some things take, take time. And so we need to kind of rise up to that and be able to, you know, offer that, ex, that digital experience to them. And, And not everyone may want that. Some people may still want to go into branches, but you have to be prepared to be able to go one way or the other. And with us millennials, and I I laugh when I say that because I saw an article that came out, and in in my generation, we are now called the geriatric millennials (laughs) because we're the old ones. But, you know, we've bought homes. We have equity. No, and we're getting ready to, you know, buy second homes, third homes, and I want to be able to do everything on my computer. I don't want to pick up a phone. You know, some people, my, my husband, he hates talking to people on the phone. He's like, just text me, send me an email. Um, you know, I'm more of a call, call you up and, you know, talk it through and get some answers. But, you know, we need to be able to, you know, send messages to cell phones. Hey, this is where you're your loan is at, you're in final underwriting, those push messages, text messages, we need to be able to communicate with our borrowers the way that they want to be communicated with. So we have to have that infrastructure in place.
0: Well, and I think that infrastructure is so critical. And, uh, you know, everyone, you hear that catchphrase, oh, when everything goes back to normal. And my opinion, I hope some things don't go back to normal. What are the lessons learned? What are the things that should remain digital? Uh, and then to your point, how can you have exit ramps where if the person started digital but then want to come into the branch or wanted to make a phone call, they can. But we don't know if another pandemic will break out. We don't know if there's going to be another variant and something else happens. We don't know if there could be a shutdown that I think businesses have to go in prepared and really have all of that infrastructure there. Sarah, one of the things, for those people that don't know First Close, and, and hopefully all of our listeners do, I know you guys work with lenders, hundreds of lenders across the country and credit unions and community banks, but for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about who is First Close, and how do you guys add value to the industry?
1: Hey, So First Close, we're a technology company. We've been around for over 20 years, so we're we're not new to the game. Um, people say that we're the home equity export experts but uh you know our solution we offer one platform from hello to here's your money so you've got your front end application process where your borrowers can apply for their loans instant approvals instant monthly payments and then once the loan gets into the system then you've got all of your you know back end processing so everything that you would need to close on that loan you know your settlement services it's all built into the system from all of your favorite nationwide vendors um, with direct api integrations and it's also one-click ordering so there's so much technology and automation that's built into the back end of our system just based on a loan amount and where that property is located and whatever your lending matrix is you know we can auto assign whatever products need to be ordered for that loan We can order them automatically, have them cascade any way that they need to, to get appropriate values and have those um, loans ready to close really quickly. So everything is at a push of a button. It's all customized to the lender and their underwriting guidelines, all completely integrated with that layer of automation that reduces those touch points. Um, additional to that, we have, you know, a full customer service team that are watching those orders. So it's almost like when you work with First Close, you get an additional employee that you don't have to pay for. We are on your side, you know, watching those orders, working with your processing team, make sure everything gets done within those SLAs.
0: Fantastic. And you talk about cascading, and that's kind of what I classify as this new hybrid lending model, Right. There's so many different valuations models that came out during this pandemic. And like we talked about, I hope some of them stay. Talk to me a little bit about these different valuation models and really how do they impact a lender's business?
1: So, you know, there's so much data out there. And everything that happens within the industry, you know, from you know, sales prices, tax assessments, all that data is gonna be there. And, you know, when when lenders are processing, you know, home equity loans under a certain amount, you know, those under 50K that they're doing every day and just pumping out, you know, you don't need to go in and order that full appraisal, um, you know, using that AVM, um, testing that AVM in your area to make sure it's the right one, you know, utilizing all of that available data, you know, that is out there, um, is, is going to be the best way to streamline all those processes. If that's not the quite the best fit for where you're located and maybe more rural area, or there's not as many, you know, neighbors around to try to pull that data together. There's so many other options, like a desktop valuation, which is a fraction of the price of a full appraisal. You know, we also have the restricted appraisals and the drive-bys. Um, You know, very few I see with our customers are going to a full appraisal unless they're over, like, 250. Um, And that is just, you know, and I have a lot of really good appraiser friends, but that industry is just, it's it's changing. And it's, there are not a lot of new appraisers coming into the market, and a lot of them are starting to retire. And so we really kind of need to look at a, a work smarter, not harder way of um, assigning a valuation to these properties you know utilize all the information that we have at our fingertips and you know cut costs where we can we don't need to spend you know the 500 dollars on that appraisal when we can probably get a very similar value from either an avm or a desktop
0: well and you have so many good insights on valuation i know you have an upcoming webinar what today's valuations, what to do when one size doesn't fit all. Uh, I think that is what, June 17th at One Central?
1: Yeah, that is. And it's a question I get asked all the time. You know, people, lenders, you know, when they're getting on, when they're getting ready to onboard with us, you know, we'll do some testing. We'll run some different models and some different valuations. We'll come back and we'll look at the values and we'll compare them and you know, it's really hard because you can't compare an EVM to an appraisal. It's apples and oranges. Um, everything's going to be a little different, but you need, but it's, it's about finding, you know, what's going to work for your lending institution that works best. And, and not everything's going to work best for every single scenario. So it's knowing when um, to use each product and then uh, loading that into the back end of our system. So that whole decision tree is automated.
0: Perfect. And people can sign up for that through your website. Uh, it's a free webinar, so I'm, I'm very excited. I'll definitely be tuning in. I want to hear all of your key insights. It's hard to believe that we've already buzzed through our time here on this, but I want to end with one quick question uh, and then one additional comment. But as things are now starting to open up and conferences are coming back and personal interaction, how do you balance the hey, let's go back to how things are used, used to be, and we go to 30 conferences, and you're on the road, you know, 30, 40, 50 weeks selling, versus there was a lot of good things we learned digitally. And some ways, selling digitally, you can be more efficient, you can be more cost effective. How do you kind of weigh those two competing interests?
1: So I do feel that, you know, the conferences are an important aspect. It's it's you know being able to to connect with their peers within the industry in a less formal setting. So building on those relationships and making new connections and at least getting the conversation started. I mean, you may not be closing deals, but you're getting to know someone, getting to know what their needs are, and you know um, trying to consult with them on best practices and how to solve those problems. But you know it, it it's about being smarter. You know about the whole process we still have so many lenders that aren't traveling and that aren't accepting visitors um we have some vendors that are like that as well that aren't accepting visitors or traveling yet and based based on where that company is located um, geographically in the united states it's, it, it's all going to vary right every state is in different phases of opening right so i think it's you know really it's knowing your audience so is this a person that you know, really needs the hand holding that I need to go see and give them, you know, good feelings about working with us, that we are people and we're not just, you know, an online company type thing. Um, Or, you know, is this something that can be done over Zoom meetings and multiple calls? It's just really knowing who your customer is and and what their needs are and what their expectations are. and, and trying to balance the two out.
0: Well, I love how you said know your audience, and more importantly, it's about building and fostering those relationships, right? I mean, that's one of the good things through the pandemic. People that leaned in digitally were able to build and foster relationships, and I think what's going to happen is when those people actually go to a conference, they're going to be able to leverage digitally those relationships much easier. They can show up at a conference and they can send out a tweet or they can send out a post on LinkedIn and say, hey, everyone, meet me here at the bar at this hotel. Meet me at this restaurant at this time. And I think what we're going to find is those people that leverage that digital during the pandemic are going to be much more effective when they're out meeting with people live. Sarah, you and I could continue to talk for hours. You have so many great insights. (laughs) I know our listeners are taking notes. If people want to get a hold to you and ha- get a hold of you and have a further discussion, what's the best way for them to contact you?
1: Um, you can, you know, ping me on LinkedIn. Um, you can send me an email. It's just Um, and I, my phone, my email is attached to me, so I always get it. So I'm very responsive. So if you need me, just you know, reach out. Um, I'm here.
0: Outstanding. Sarah, thank you for your time and your incredible insights for this episode of the FinTech hunting podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So,